Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. short rest oh I see they said you'd be showing up about now come on through the portal best not keep the lore mistress and more master waiting you know how they get robots radio presents the dungeons and dragons lore cast the best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons. It's not just a squabble that a body can avoid by keeping out of the lower planes. There's almost nowhere in the multiverse Assad can hide to give the war the laugh. The fighting permeates everything. Entire societies rise and fall around the tides of war. It reaches from the pits of Beator, that's the Nine Hells, to most clueless, to the heights of Mount Celestia, that's the uh, Seven Heavens, and it stains every plane in between. Hello and welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio. And I'm Mary. And that, dear listener, is the is from Hellbound. The Blood mm-hmm. War, which when we talk about Planescape just being chef's kiss, or as we like to call it here at the Lorecast, chef's choice. Uh, it's, it's, it's because a heck of, and delight. It's because of stuff like that. Yes. It's it's because of, of you know, the, the wordplay that the team put together. And uh, I actually... I've been doing a little bit of a reading and research into the history of, of TSR and apparently Planescape while now like widely regarded as, as probably the best um, material put out, you know, for D and D, you know, here I was just sitting and thinking like, Oh, like I just, I just happen to love it because I think it's really cool. But no, apparently that opinion uh, is held by many others. Uh, It didn't really sell. Yeah. it's, It's not so much. It's almost teetering on fact, uh, it actually sold the least, and it's, and it has a lot to do with um, just the where the market was at the time, how TSR right. was selling at the time, uh, and then of course you know it was wildly different than anything we'd seen before, and mm-hmm. sometimes people ain't ready for that. They ain't ready for the what? change. What? What? Wow, that's crazy, Sergio. People resist change. Yeah, it's like that um that apoc I don't know if it's apocryphal or if it's if valid, but you know, Henry Ford saying that if if he if he gave customers what they wanted, he would have built a faster horse. You know, sometimes you gotta shake things up to true. to to give the people what they actually want. And the what the people want is planescape. Can't it's, it's sort true. it. Well, that's why we're here. We'll give the people what they want. Exactly. We're gonna give we're gonna give you a lot got- of planescape. 
I got a whole lot of Planescape for you right here, buddy. Let's talk about it. Let's get started. We're talking the Blood War. Finally. Finally. Now, the Blood War is not a um, small or short-lived war. This This is the forever war. Um, it's been going on for so long that you can see the influence of it in the very nature of the Outer Plains. Uh, spanning all of recorded history means that it's been recorded a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of information. The powers say that it's been going on for as long as they can remember. So there you go. Ancient. Like I said, societies rise and fall around the tides of war. Pockets grow fat with profit from it. Armies, um, the armies involved, though, can't fully support and supply themselves, so as per usual, which means they got to get stuff from, you know, from somewhere. Aram Oakwright, a member of the Fated of Sigil, um, says it best. The war's got its flaws, but it's great for business. Both Tanari and uh, Beatsu rely on outside dealers for food, weapons, mercenaries couriers spies things like that um these are uh, and there are actual cities that come like get built up get rich and go completely broke depending on how uh, the battle is going and who is currently winning i guess (laughs) in quotes winning winning there's there's gonna be some quoting in here thusly but it's all good so and, and and since this war's been going on for so very long, there's it's a lot to unpack. So I tried to break it down and make it easier on well on all of us. Actually. Yeah, try try to summarize a an eternal war, Mary. Sure. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> about an hour or so. I say that, but we talked for nearly two hours about giants <laughs> last week. So it's like I you could okay. Well, hmm. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. So I'm going to let's talk about who's involved first. Okay. So the short answer to who is everyone. Everybody, um, every, every, everybody, everybody, all of us. Um, so we're going to start with that, their motives. Then we'll talk about the locations involved, which spoiler alert, all of them um, and the uh, history or the timeline of the war. For millennia now, the Beatazu and the Tanari have hated each other and have been at war. Chant is, this goes all the way back to the first time the species met. Um, are they just fighting because evil's going to do its evil thing? Not entirely. Um, well, I mean, maybe a bit, but it does go much deeper than that. They're not fighting over, you know, the typical things, uh, power over one another or territory or titles even. Uh, they're fighting over the true definition of evil. And that is the part that gets everybody up in a tease in a tizzy and gets everyone involved. Um, I mean, I, I do get it though. What is true evil? That's what it comes down to. Um, is it really organizing and plotting and calculated, you know, the the twisting of the knife, setting up of perfectly laid plans, adhering to all the bullet points plotted out for you and you know, watching all of the pieces fall carefully into place before setting it all off with a with a bang? <laughs> or is it the chaotic pureness of the impulsive aspects of evil? Is it, you know, following your dark impulses, giving into, you know, the seductive glory of chaos and all that's involved? One I mean, side. 
questions mm-hmm. I've been asking myself since I was a small child. I, I feel like I can picture pondering a wee little pondering toddler. My, pondering my orb and what mm-hmm. and mulling over these questions, yes. Pondering your orb, was it like an inflatable beach ball? It was uh it was um <laughs> I was say what are the like um mad balls? Oh, like for four square dodgeball, cherry balls? No, no do you not remember mad balls? No. Oh man. Okay, so, so uh, when do I remember anything? Mad balls were these like toy foam balls that had like monsters on them. <gasps> like look them up. They are they're very much in like the garbage pill kids like umbrella. Oh, like... yeah, no, I know exactly what those are. Never mind. Yeah. So yeah, I would ponder my mad ball and wonder about the true nature of evil as a six year old. But <laughs> as a six year old, but I oh, digress. Well, six year old. <laughs> Did you Pro- proceed? <laughs> So one side fights for chaos terrain and the other side wants law. Do folks care though that uh you know the devils and demons are out here just kind of like slaughtering one another? Not really. Um a lot of folks actually consider that part to be a good thing. If they eliminate each other, then that just helps secure the safety, you know, of the entirety of the multiverse. Either way though, everyone's involved and you kind of got to choose where to stand. So if you happen to be mortal, which I know some of you are, um, and you're one of the species that lives in this area, you are affected by it. Um, it's always existed. So for mortals, it's just a fact of life, that it's it's part of everything, touches everything, integrated into all that they know, everything their ancestors have ever known, and everything since before the ancestors even were. Um, the blood war has been going on possibly as long as time has existed Um, so mortals would be kind of lost without it though that's the weird thing so imagine something that has always just been there and affected you know all of your life um all of history is tied to it so if it comes to an end there's going to be this this void um it's going to definitely be noticed and no doubt that's soon going to be filled with something equally as awful or potentially worse you know um the Beatu zoo you know is probably better than the one you don't but there for some go. reason <laughs> it's the Beatu zoo you know I doesn't mean, roll off the tongue as, as, yeah uh, i mean yeah i can see that <laughs> like very yeah yeah I, as soon as you said that i that phrase came to mind but Good, good, uh, good work using inserting the uh, AD and D era uh, verbiage into that. I know. See, sometimes I'm smart. Sometimes I'm almost ready, which is the neighbor to never ready. For some people, though, uh, the war is a blessing, I guess, in a way. So you know how heroes get. <laughs> Gives you the opportunity to write your name in the tomes of history or have your stories told by certain lore masters or lore mistresses. Um, you find honor, glory, gold, you know, all the typical mortal hero nonsense. Um, there are still others, though, that see it as an impending ending of all things. It's the, uh, quote, inevitable sword that'll one day fall across the neck of creation. It's not that it's expected to happen anytime soon, per se, just more like an unavoidable eventuality. And it is a constant. Living in the city of doors where the um, battle of or the battlegrounds of the blood war are only a portal away puts you pretty close to the action for the unfortunates that live in Sigil. Um, 
some say it's ruled by the 15 factions within, which you guys know this if you listened to the episode on Sigil. It's ruled by them, but not really. But not exactly. Like, if, if you own, like, if you have a Coke, like a soda bottle, Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is my soda. But mm-hmm. you know, at any point, someone could come and Debo for you for it and just take it. Uh, is it really yours? That and... is the nicest way to say that she will slice you to ribbons. <laughs> and so <laughs> if, yeah, so if the Lady of Pain can pretty much do whatever she wants in Sigil, does anyone else really run it? I mean, as long as they don't step outside of her rules, she lets them run it for her as an honor. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, whoever, so Sigil be in the city of doors. Whoever controls that theoretically controls the outer planes, right? True. It's much like everyone else. Um, all the factions have their viewpoints on the war as well. Some folks, like the uh, Athar, have no quarrel in the Blood War. Defiers generally don't get too involved in it, but they admire the Biatezu and the Tanari um, for their existence (laughs) that's what they admire about them that they exist they believe it um (laughs) their existence further proves that deities don't exist to the defiers um the gods are just they think that the gods are just kind of like regular guys got really 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 lucky yeah they got hella lucky hella op (laughs) just some bros um and they just happened into their positions, you know? Um, the fiends existing and being made from souls proves that not all souls go to the realms of their quote-unquote deities and gods in their eyes. The members of the uh, Athar that do choose to get involved are doing so of their own free will and uh, under the guidance of possibly another faction because they aren't getting in the middle of all of it. The godsmen uh, feel about the same, hoping it keeps, hoping that the war keeps itself to the lower planes. They feel that if a guy does well enough live in his life and passes the test thrown at him, uh, he'll be promoted in his next life. Um, The existence of fiends proves this to them because as they are promoted, you know, uh, to the next type of in their species hierarchy, um, they watch, you know, because that's what happens as they they pass. They get to move up right. to the next like, type because, again, right? Yeah, because the demons do this has a, has a sort of promotional sort of aspect to their right. You know, existence. They they think that they also too have that. Hey, maybe me too. Hey, maybe me too. Why not us? Exactly. So these guys also watch the war and discuss the significance of it and the philosophical meanings therein. They see it as a cosmic test um, to to determine who is truly right and what the ramifications would be. If either side were to actually win, um, some think that if the blood war comes to an end, so does the multiverse. I mean, that that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but oh, but okay. Some people uh, think the moon is made of cheese, but I digress. Uh, moon cheese. There are uh, still others like the uh, the bleakers, for example, who see the war as a waste of time. They don't think there's any not really any reason to be fighting it's not going to solve anything the true evil and the true darkness in the multiverse comes from within inside of us inside of each and every one of us we can see it if we look but 
they also aren't really surprised that the fiends um, are too ignorant, you know, to uh, do so and that they're dumb enough to fight among themselves. <laughs> if they had to choose, though, they'd fall on the side of chaos with the Tanari, after all. You know, um, they do tend to ban folks from joining their uh, banning. They ban folks from joining their faction that are uh, structure loving fools, as it were. And that is also a quotation, which I adore. The entirety of the stuff. Again, just go read all the Planescape stuff. Every bit of it. After you finish listening, then go. You can finish this first. The Doom Guard, aka the Sinkers, uh, they they love it. They love the war. Um, they love that it speeds up the eventual fall of all things. Um, they do what they can, actually, to keep it going. Blood War, it spills out into so many planes and to so many different places, and it's in so much of everything that the uh, Sinkers, to them, it is the perfect tool of decay, and they would intensify the war if they could. They also help with supplies and stuff to both sides. So they're in that middle part getting all the goods from it. The other factions fall somewhere in there as well. Some hate it, some profit from it. Uh, some think it's a necessary evil, think something unnecessary evil. The Dustmen see it as a sign that the multiverse is full of those who are already dead and don't know it, which is just beautiful. Got some Sixth Sense vibes going on. It is. You're already dead. You just don't realize it yet. It's also kind of threatening if you say it in the right context. Kinda, yeah. I can see. I could hear like a like a mobster, like you're already dead. You just don't even realize it yet. Yeah, exactly. Everything in here has been read in mobster vibes. When I read the like everything Planescape wise, I've been talking, I'm reading stuff in this accent every single time. You see, but I'll keep it for myself. There are, you know, still more factions that see the war as confirmation of their beliefs that the more powerful things in the universe have the right to fight to determine which side is correct and they also put themselves in a position to profit from both sides um some are a little shy about which side they support the mercy killers uh even go as far as sending troops and supplies to the Beatezu, being very bold about who they support so people are pretty much all over the map the anarchists they want to see it continue for a while, maybe, you know, tear down some power structures across the land and allow them to put their own in place. But that's just kind of their thing across the board. There is word, though, that a second in command of one of the factions, um, one of the factions that's uh, connected to both sides, um, says that the war is actually just a facade. Um, it's set up to make the Celestials believe the fiends couldn't actually coordinate among themselves and that you know, now that the armies of light are busy bickering among themselves, the fiends keep this, you know, keep up the charade for a little bit longer and have planned a full-on strike on the strongholds of goodness. The strongholds of goodness. I like that's that. Where all the, that's where all the good guys are. Their main areas, since we don't, uh, we haven't quite ventured there yet. I noticed that we went to hell first. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, uh, I no, we we've covered like 
Well, we'll cover like all the planes and all that, you know, when when we dip into the well, we planes cover, I mean, proper. We we'll we'll get there. Uh, but I, I feel like we like we've covered like Celestia and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, in covered. passing, like you know, like in... oh, and then and then this person like went to Celestia for a little bit, but moving on. Yeah, but but hell, let's do a whole summer long spread on that. I'm here for it. <laughs> in related news to that, though, there are some that say the celestial defenses are struggling, that they've grown complacent and weak, waiting for the fiends to wear each other down. So the fiends key players in this whole battle situation here don't know if you picked up on that uh they've been around as long as times existed too uh they were here when the first humans crawled up onto their feet and it is foretold that they will be here long after the last mortal dies so these you know these battles these wars and incursions and stuff are all just kind of like blips to them so for us for the mortals it's been there forever and for them each of these battles is just like a tuesday um, your life or mine is just the blink of an eye or the amount of time it takes for them to take a breath. They're very small, very insignificant. And you see the Tanari and the Beatzu have spent millennia plotting, planning, scheming, shifting pieces about, and, you know, occasionally using mortals as pawns. One of the last players we have involved is the Celestials. They want to watch the Tanari and the Beatzu destroy one another. So good can finally triumph over evil. And if Goody. these guys... Yay! Goody. And if they happen to take the Yugoloths down with them, that'd be perfect. There's the chef's kiss. Whereas there's also the uh, the Modrons, who want nothing but order, and the Saladi uh, side with the side of chaos. Um, these are also two other groups of demons they're in the they're in the middle area of things all right okay fair enough now that we've talked about who let's cover the uh the where of it and like i said blood war takes place across all planes of existence but there are some hot spots in some locales that we'll hear about so i'm just going to give you a quick little rundown of those before we get into uh the history of it and the timeline as mentioned before uh sigil does come into play uh plays a very a pretty good sized role in the war and it remains a very important location um a jewel that may well be plucked and it might be the answer for how to win the war uh Beator, the plane of lawful evil also known as the nine hells is where the beata zoo launched their attacks from where they call home one of the most important sites of the Blood War. We also have Gehenna. Uh, this place is described as more vile than Beator, which is just as, I how? <laughs> I don't want to know how, but I know I've got to know how. It's been losing ground, though, to both um, both the Nine Hells and to the Grey Waste, which is to the other side of it for years now. Um, it is usually uh thought of it's thought to be the smallest outer plane as far as physical size goes um Gaiana has four layers referred to as the four furnaces uh, these are planes of like magma and volcanoes that are mainly a mustering ground for the beata zoo and a fighting ground for any tanari that happened to make it that far um, and Gehenna is also the home of the yugoloths 
the Grey Waste is the most popular battleground for the Fanes, mostly because it's a midway point in the Lower Plains. Um, and it has their, uh, its three layers are called glooms. And these plains uh, drain color and life for many and all travelers. But it is said that this plane has the key to winning the blood war. Of course, none of the sages alive um, know what that key is or anything about it. And because, uh, because this is considered to be the nadir of evil, celestials focus a lot of their attention here on this plane. Another place that we'll see come into play is Carceri, the home of the Garaliths, and it's basically a prison for anybody else that shows up there. Um, the six-layered plane is said to look a lot like a string of pearls. Uh, the red prison, it serves a similar purpose to Gehenna. It's the midway point between the gray wastes and the abyss. So it's the other side's pit stop, I guess. Pit fiend stop. Yeah, pit fiend stop. Yes. yes. <laughs> it is a, <sighs> as it's the mustering ground for the Tenari and the uh, resting place for the unlucky devils that have made it that far. It's not a place that is traveled easily, and most folks try to give it a wide berth, um, as the Garaleths don't take very kindly to anybody that can come and go whenever they want, um, because they're kind of just stuck there. They're trapped there. They can't awful brutal place nasty nasty place nasty place um the abyss as one of the other locations it's said to hold in uh infinite evil in infinite layers like a diabolically delicious parfait um that could you know that of course could be rumors spread by the denizens of the abyss though the tanari um whether it's true or not the abyss is huge and there are constant power struggles amongst the abyssal lords all vying for more land. The Tanari are naturally imbued with the hatred and evil that just kind of permeate from the plane. Um, one resource actually warns, any sod planning to visit the Abyss should know that the Tanari are capricious and cruel. The Beatezu may like to twist words, but the Tanari like to twist necks. Yikes. Yeah, well, I mean... Some of that more, uh, that mobster undertone that we were talking about. It is. It's everywhere, and I love it. Um, and then there are some other planes involved, uh, though they're not main battlegrounds. Stuff is, you know, happening there, too. The Outlands are a constant flow of traffic for the fiendish armies. Uh, both sides march across land, hoping to find their opponents unaware and, you know, slaughter them brutally. Uh, the astral plane has a similar role as it connects the top layers of the outer planes from Arborea to Arcadia. The armies of light um, align here to prevent the fiends from actually achieving their ends. Uh, there are only two planes completely free from the division of good and evil, though. Uh, Mechanis, the home of the lawful neutral Modrons, which are absolutely adorable by the way i think they are so neat looking all strange and whatnot oh yeah yeah well yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun we've actually we've had uh requests to, to speak about uh mechanis and <laughs> i can't wait Yay! they are oh, love it they are fantastic um 
There's also limbo. That's where the uh, chaotic neutral sladi make their home. Uh, both sides aiding the side they identify with more, you know, law versus chaos, um, sending in, you know, troops and supplies. Um, little fun fact, which I thought this was amusing. Um, rumor has it that Limbo and Mechanis are getting ready to slip over into the lower planes. They say the fiends have finally killed off enough of the Sladi and the Modrons to tip the balance from neutral to evil, which has caused an influx of do-gooders ready to fix it, balance things out again, because we can't have the great ring off kilter. God only knows what that would do, right? Which in turn... <laughs> has brought about groups of evil burks to keep those do-gooders in check and make sure the planes do slide off into the lower planes without any issues from these goody-goodies. Funny thing? It's never, none of, never been at a risk of that happening anyway. No, everything, it's always going to be... That's good. It's always going to be balanced out enough. <laughs> it's always going to stay where it's at. Yeah, pretty much. Well, uh, we are going to jump the middle of the show going to do the mm -hmm. middle of the show things and when we come back uh, we're going to go over the timeline of the blood war um, I, i'm guessing not exhaustive as you previously stated this has been going on for millennia for eons for mm -hmm. since the dawn of time essentially so mm -hmm. uh, maybe mm -hmm. just you know uh, the high points the high, the high notes um yeah yeah, something like that. I, I I condensed it as much as I could. It's the middle of the show. It's the middle of the show. So what do we do in the middle of the show, Mary? Well, I'm going to start by thanking the patrons. That's what we're going to do first. And then we'll talk about like the, the Wise news. choice. Right? They're pretty cool. They're pretty cool. We'll talk about news and visit stuff from the DMs Guild and all that afterward. Um, so thank you. <laughs> uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of our patrons. Um, if you want to join them, you can visit patreon.com DND or patreon.com slash DND Lorecast. And, and there's a link. There's a link in the show notes. There's a link. There's a link in the show notes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If you're if you're like me and you can't remember it, there's a link in the show notes. Hey, there you go. <laughs> it's like I'm just saying. I know where my faults are and memory is kind of one of them. <laughs> but uh gonna do a little thank you to uh say thank you to Alex D, Ellis, Ruben S, and Paul B for joining. And a special shout out to Dylan as well. Um, you guys are awesome. Our patrons make um all of this like doable and it's uh yeah just thank you i don't at least don't on the, at least at the level time. that we're that we're doing it you know right because i right. i would be talking D D for hours mm -hmm. on end regardless oh yeah oh yeah but we're able to make it better and bring it to more people that way because these guys are awesome so yeah like mary said if you are interested in supporting the show in that way patreon.com slash dnd lorecast if you want to support the show in other ways, you can go mm -hmm. to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave us some five-star reviews. Let us know how we're doing. You mm -hmm. can follow mm -hmm. us on all the social medias. Uh, follow so us many. on X. It still feels weird saying that. It does. You said uh, you said Twitter earlier. 
I think when we were talking. I I, I will never not call it Twitter. Oh, I, I don't know that anyone will ever call it X. Because I, mean, I don't think it's going to be around long enough now that X is going to stick. I think it's, you know, it's going to, the, you don't think X go is down and, the spot. I don't think so. No. And <laughs> X marks I, the spot where the bird was shot. Got it. I, yeah. I think it's going to go down in flames relatively soon mm-hmm. and it'll just always be remembered as Twitter, but I digress. Uh, threads, uh, Mastodon, blue uh-huh. sky, all uh-huh. the other, you know, uh, Twitter like apps, uh, or Twitch, Instagram, TikTok. We are mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. DND Lorecast pretty much yep. everywhere. Uh, we have a Discord where you can talk about uh, not only D&D, but other tabletop role-playing games. Oh, yeah. You can then do all sorts of stuff, ask for advice, um, mm-hmm. you know, workshops, some homebrew stuff. Uh, it's, yep. a, it's a lot of good fun. There's a lot of good folks it there. There's, it's a pretty awesome place. I spend most of my Discord time in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure, 100%. And as far as D&D news goes... Um, so there was, we discussed this last week, um, when we gave our first impressions on Big B Presents Glory of the Giants, the yep. AI art controversy that took yep. place. Uh, you know, we spoke, uh, I feel like in, and uh, we, you know, gave our opinions and what, how we felt about AI art, mm-hmm. uh, and in a way that if you are interested in hearing that, definitely check out that episode if you haven't already heard it. So we won't dive back into it. Um, but Wizards has a new AI art policy. Um, oh, good. And essentially they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, just no. Just, yeah, just no. Um, so not only, uh, you know, we provided their statement in, in the Glory of the Giants episode, but um, they've updated as to say, um, you know, what uh, moving forward, like what's going to be, like what's the expectation? Yeah. Um, and so for one, the art has already been pulled uh, from the digital printings of the book. So if you go to D&D Beyond, you know, that artwork is now no longer available uh, mm-hmm. and new art will be recommissioned and then added subsequently. Uh, the subsequent statement says, we have pulled art that contained generative AI from Glory of the Giants and Giants of the Starforge on D&D Beyond. That change is visible now to anyone with the pre-order benefit or now mm-hmm. at this point, um, if you have, uh, now that the book is officially out, uh, we've also re we're also recommissioning the art and we'll add it to the digital compendium once we have it, as well as any future reprints of glory of the giants, like physical copies. Okay. So any future ones moving forward. Right. And goes on to say that multiple members of our art team and art team leadership have personally re-reviewed each piece of art in glory of the giants, the deck of many things set Vandelver and below the shattered obelisk and Planescape Adventures in the Multiverse for potential AI art usage. No generative AI art usage beyond what has already been identified in Glory of the Giants and Giants of the Starforge was found. And so it sounds like it's like they are, that's a hard line. They're gonna, that's, that's a and no-go. They're going to listen to the community about good. Which, I mean, when you have so many talented people. there's Yes, that is such a slap in the face. I mean, that's, them in before, my in my personal stance is a very hard stance though <laughs> yeah and before i ever opened a D book i knew about D from the art like the evocative mm-hmm. dark sun yeah. art the yeah. uh the larry elmore art from Dragonlance. like that's it what the, uh, the to me art first. yeah the planescape art was art. the first art i saw mm-hmm. i mean it's all of it is just you know it 
it transported us visually into another world. And, yeah. you know, for me and for you and for so many others, that mm-hmm. art was the, you know, was the gateway to the game. Well, yeah, that's always going to be, for me personally, as a person, that's going to be what appeals to me. I'm going to look at if it's a pretty thing. I want the interesting thing or the pretty thing or the odd thing or the unique thing, but the art and the artistic aspects of it are going to be the first thing I see. No, yeah, every absolutely. Every single time. I mean, I, yeah, like, you know, I have used to keep uh, the 3.5 core rule books in my truck because obviously, no, no um, mm-hmm. and I, I remember entertaining uh, like a little kid, like it sounds very bad. I was watching a movie, <laughs> a drive-in movie with a friend who had children. And uh-huh. uh, when, and during a down period, I was there, I was like, how am I going to entertain these kids? And I'm like, Oh, Hey, let's pull out the monster manual. And like, yeah, they loved it. They're like, they're, they love the art to the point where like, I, oh, I yeah. ended up buying them. Uh, I think Aww. it was a fourth edition, like monster manual, just, you know, so they could mm-hmm. have something. Mm-hmm. My uh, oldest child or my oldest, I say child, she's pretty much an adult my senior she has a uh, all of she has several of my D books at the moment for art references yeah exactly for I mean, that it's... purpose and inspiration mm-hmm. and dang it art <clears throat> by humans for humans i want yeah i want the <laughs> i want it to come from somebody that loves it right it's exactly. it's that's an aspect that can't be touched by the the AI. it can't i can't do that can't put the human in it and i want the human part in my art Speaking there's of, your, uh, there's the campaign slogan. I want my human, <laughs> I want my human part in my art. Uh-huh. Uh, speaking of the human part in art, let's uh, head on over to the DMs Guild, where all sorts of humans are making all sorts of art. This week, we'll be we will be highlighting the Player's Guide to the Blood War Volume One. This Ooh. is from uh, David Stevens, and uh-huh. this looks pretty freaking awesome and the price point is even more awesome it's only 450 for a pdf copy um four and a half stars the it also has a fantasy grounds version if you use that particular vtt darkness is rising armies of demons and devils clash in an unending conflict that threatens to destroy the whole of the material plane but what side will you choose will you side with the forces of evil seeking to conquer everything in existence or will you choose the armies of light and fight to keep the blood war from spilling into the material plane? Regardless of which side you choose in the eternal conflict, Player's Guide to the Blood War has you covered. So you will find uh, 11 new subclasses, uh, 67 new feats, 41 new spells, 22 new magic items, and Goodness. 20 of what we know and love, the plot hooks. <gasps> so yeah we'll have a uh, link to the show notes for that again it's 450 four and a half stars review uh four and a half star uh reviews it's looks freaking awesome yeah that's worth it just for the plot hooks just for the plot hooks you tell you tell me i get 20 plot hooks i love those solid deal you're buying them in bulk again all right let's get back to the show uh, yes. and talk some more blood war. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, dear listener. We are talking the blood war, which 
is as awesome <laughs> as it sounds. I mean, it's 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 got a high bar. It sets a high bar, right? It's called the Blood it War. Really does with a name like that. And it's like, yeah. oh, it's just this eternal war between demons and devils that kind of like touches every aspect of the multiverse in some way, like both, you know, um, intentional and unintentional. Mm-hmm. It just you know it permeates through every aspect of our lives as mortals and through everything that <laughs> happens within the realm. NBD, yeah. you know, it's this little ifs. fight. It's just a little tiff just between little some tiff. guys. The scenes are tiffing. It's it's like you know it's like West Side Story. They're they're you know without the the singing and the dancing. So interesting that when people say West Side Story, my brain goes to the song Maria Maria Santana. You remind me of a West Side Story. The only thing (laughs) that comes into mind. That's the only thing I hear. Not the much beloved and you know uh, very uh, ingrained in our culture. Yeah, you mean like the actual musical? No, or play, okay, play musical. Really quick. See, there you though, go. Before we jump into the timeline of the Blood War, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah if we, we need more content for this free ad-supported television station with D <laughs> content, mm-hmm. a Blood War musical, essentially, like you know, essentially, what is <laughs> West Side Story except with demons and devils and a but devil falls in love. Hamilton. <laughs> Like Hamilton, like falls in love. A, a devil falls in love with a demon, uh, and you know it all ends in tragedy. Um, you know, it's, cross it's, love as they were. You know, yeah, Romeo and Juliet, Titanic, uh, mm. and then the Blood War, the Blood know, War, the musical, Blood War, the musical. <laughs> so, as as you know, the name implies, uh, war is messy. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. Um, so all the exact dates of things in this timeline are not are not necessarily known for the events. Um, and not every single one of those little teeny tiny tiffs has been documented. Um, it's kind of like this is the Blood Wars greatest hits. What I'm gonna give you guys. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I mean, let's when you go and see <clears throat> Springsteen. When you go and see Billy Joel, you know, that's if you're not a huge fan of them, that's kind of all you're there for, right? It's like the really like big, you know, big fans that are that there for like real the deeper specific. cuts. Uh, I've been on specific. a Billy Joel kick lately, and I don't know how I feel about that, but I digress. That's for oh, our Joel lore cast. That's for our okay. piano man lore cast. <laughs> piano man lore cast. Uh, I'll still, sing you a song yeah. about it later. Yeah. We're still ironing the, ironing the details out on that one. <laughs> so also keep in mind that the uh, details of this, like these accounts of the war, um, part of it is the written accounts from the Yugoloths, the Tanari, and the Beatazu, as well as other planar species. So um, another thing to keep in mind is that cultural things are also going to affect the perspectives there. In addition to, because, um, okay, how do I... It's not all necessarily true in some of its perspective. It's the best we've got. So this is what counts as lore. (laughs) For sure. In the beginning, the planes were formed. After a while, creations began to emerge. The Bernaloths were the first to rise, laying plans and plotting already straight out the gate. They were followed by their children, the Yugoloths, a millennia later, who would begin to implement all of those pre-planned schemes um also side note it's kind of a history of demons and devils as well so there is that's included in it since it expands their entire time so it's a twofer you get the blood war and their history 
All right, fair enough. The river Styx, uh, once a small trickle, then begins to grow. She becomes a stream and then a river and then this wild raging thing winding its way throughout the lower plains, growing wider and wider as the evil of the Bjarnaloths grows and spreads. Not sure, no one's really sure if uh, one of those things caused the other or which way that happened, but in the years to come, um, the river Styx became a symbol of the war and the prices paid in it, and it also became a very key point of transport for all war efforts. Apomps, one of the uh, Bjarnaloths, tries to replicate the creation of the Ubaloths by using the bodies of dead ones. He's recycling, essentially. They're recycling, hey. essentially. <laughs> yeah, reduce, reuse, recycle, all that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good for him. Reduce Ubaloths, <laughs> recycle, right? Right. It's the saying. That's um, what. He... That's what. That, that's how the phrase goes, right? It is. Really, I have it on it a really... shirt somewhere. Yeah, that uh, Apomps is just a victim of you know um, misunderstanding what what misunderstanding. You know, some, yeah. But right. with the phrase of something, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's, that's I, his only sure. crime. Okay, I want you to save that opinion. <laughs> Just save that opinion. Um, Apomps gives them life, and in the process, um, Apomps is twisted and deformed into something, something different. And what he creates is the uh, Garaleth. Um, it's an entirely new chaotic species that is totally and completely loyal to their creator. So completely filled with pride by this, Apomps is like, hey, hey, look what I made. Hey, look what I made. Tries to show the other Bairnoloths. They're outraged and cast Apomps along with all of the Garaleths out. Um, all of them out. He is no longer a Bairnolof. They flee to Carceri. And from there, Apomps and his, his lovely little army he's now created Vow war on the Bjarnaloths and the Yugoloths. So this is the point when the first Ultraloth, uh, the general of Guyana, creates a magical stone. This destroys champions of good and drives the impurities of chaos and law from those that touch it. So he gathers some Yugoloths and attempts to use this stone, which is called the Heart of Darkness, to purify them. The general then channels these forces into the larvae of the Grey Waste. These beings eventually become the very first Beatazu and Tanari. So this is where uh-huh, uh-huh, see, see, it's where the demons came from and the yeah, okay, devils, of course. Okay. So this is the point where Beatazu history comes in and claims that they they sprang fully formed from their home planes, just like ready to go, ready for a fight. Tanari texts are not really a um, a viable source of information. Uh, they're a mess, tend to exaggerate things in there. Um, combined with the fact that they leave very little, like things are so exaggerated and pulled out of proportion, none of it makes sense. Can't really make much sense of their texts. Yugoloths, though, um, contend that they, they drove the Beatezu off. Oh, hold on. <laughs> the Yugoloths, though, contend. Oh, give it they, a little bit more time. A little longer. I'm so impatient.
The Ugloths, though, for their part, contend that they drove these mutated larvae off into the abyss and to Beator, where they were then corrupted and changed forever into the Tanari and the Beatazu, respectively. Uh, millions and millions of these were formed, and though they can't actually spawn more at this point, um, very few of them can, but it's only like a couple varieties of fiend that are capable at that point in time that can breed. So at the same time, <clears throat> this is such a mess. I never read demon and devil history. If you can avoid trying to read their text, guys, avoid it. It's confusing. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's it's obviously <laughs> going to be skewed to, toward their own perspective, and right. then, then they also don't care for any sort of like narrative cohesion to where like they'll tell mm -hmm. you like, oh yeah, and then we then we destroy the devils. It's whichever know. narrative. But then it, then the narrative itself, they'll change it like, you know, mm -hmm. two pages later. And they're like, wait, I thought, oh, you absolutely. Said, I thought you said you had lost that battle, but now you're saying you won it. It's whatever serves their purposes at that exact moment in time. And that, that, no. that's, her, that's both sides. That's demons and devils. <laughs> exactly. So it's in that same tome, that same book that the Ugloths um, claimed that they that they drove them out and that it's their they're the ones that created them. They're to blame. You know, they've taken that uh, little gold star for it, I guess. It's in that same tome that the Ugloths claim to have retained control over both of these new species through Maldur et Kavurik. Uh, this is a a being. Uh, this Their grace allows the Beatazu and the Tanari to be able to transport and teleport across planes at will. And if the uh, Loths decide to retake control over the little baby fiend species, Maldur would be the one that they would turn to um, for the how-to on that. At about the, uh, around the same time period, the Bayerna Loths suddenly just left their position of power and slipped away a few of them at a time into the gray waste and it's almost like they were never there in the first place um seeing that this left the yugoloths without their superiors the ultraloths step up and take this position so all the pieces are set and the players are on the board and this is when the war begins the Beatuzu explorers do what explorers are wont to do, set out on adventure. They need to figure out the lay of the land since they've just kind of begun to exist. And while they're out, you know, traveling and stuff, maybe getting some nice sketches of the landscape to take back home for art or whatever it is that they do. I don't know what fiends do when they're vacationing or traveling. Um, this is where they run into some Yugoloths. Now, the Bayetazu become familiar with them, and they think that the uh, Yugoloths are weak for their lack of leadership. They have a complete lack of guidelines as mercenaries as well. They continue to move on, they pushing through Carceri and into the Abyss. And this is where they meet for the first time. The Tanari, the opposite of everything that they are, right? Well, not everything opposite of the uh, lawful aspect. Right. I was going to say, I mean, like, everything, I mean, <laughs> they're yeah, the exact same and complete opposites. But <laughs> the fact that they're evil makes them the fact like that, like the way you do evil is wrong and we hate you. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're not evil the right way. 
Right, exactly. Your evil is not acceptable evil. So this is where that first seed of hatred is planted and it just takes off. They miracle growed it. That bitter hatred they feel, like that innate bitter hatred takes over and the Beata Zoo slaughter as many Tanari as they can before heading back to Beator to report what they've found. They run into these guys, immediately hate them, slaughter as many as they can and run home to tell their friends. The Tanari have a group of their own, a raiding party of their own, doing the exact same thing. They cross the gray waste, slaughtering Yugoloths for fun, you know, along the way, um, and eventually make it to Beator and find a party of Beatazu. And again, same thing. They slaughter as many as they can. Now, both of them know that the other exists, where they are, and they've both killed a number of each other. So it kind of starts with a few raiding parties here and there, and then some battles, and things eventually escalate, and uh, soon they're bringing in armies. This goes on for some centuries. And after that, after a few centuries after of this, few, after some centuries after of several fighting, hundred years, it's a blink of the eye to them. True to them. That's nothing. That's a yawn. They stretched and it's been a couple centuries. Yeah. We've been fighting these devils for 600 years now. Oh, geez, man. Seems like, doesn't seem like that much. That's nothing. Like, I, I could fight them for all of eternity. I'm just saying. Just saying. So after some centuries, the Arcanaloths meet with commanders of the Tanari and the Beatazu, offering their special services in war, bearing contracts that are made of skin of the dead. So this marks the point where the Yugoloths are directly involved in fighting the war. It's like on paper, 100%, they are actually involved at this point. Um, and it's also where they betray one side or the other. Um, frequently and it actually happened in their very first battle that they were part of they didn't even wait um it gets noticeable also really quickly um that the yugoloths help kind of skews things in one way or another kind of help shift the tides of war but the uh Beatazu and the tanari um they see this as malevolent incompetence and couldn't those fools could not possibly have any kind of motive in mind. The Yugoloths, they're too dumb and lazy for that. Now, I feel well, like um, a lot of, you know, a lot of corporate greed could be labeled as malevolent incompetence. I love that term so yeah, much. It's great. It just makes me happy. Now there are there are some some histories that say that the Yugoloths um, that herded the larvae toward the depths later on became the lords of the nine and the abyssal lords, uh, gaining their powers from the larvae beneath them. Um, others say that they came from the lords them, that came from the plains themselves, appearing because the need was there. And still others say that they were created by the Bianoloths to watch over the development of new species more closely. Regardless, this changes the landscape of the blood war because there are now new powers present that are higher powers, more more potent powers as there were. And there are now new pieces on the playing field. Some of these lords are replaced by ambitious fiends that gain enough power to challenge them and overthrow them. And after that, a hierarchy is established to help 
the powers stay in charge and leave the fiends to squabble amongst themselves instead. Uh, this keeps the positions of the lords and ladies safe. And at that point is when we start to see um, some vague records accessible uh, to the mortals, though they really don't even know what is going on at this point and just blame the war on the lords of the, you know, the lords of the nine and the abyssal lords. I also want to point out the number of times this has tried to switch to friends is absurd. I'm going to leave those friends to their war. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say the, uh, yeah, sorry, I was muted. Yeah, I was going to say the, uh, <laughs> I'm sure the, the, um, I was going to say course correct. The word correct for mm -hmm. this has got, had to have been insane. Like you're talking about friends, right? With all this animosity and hatred, like obviously fiends wouldn't be the correct word, right? Some of these sentences are really great where it replaces it though. <laughs> right. Fair enough. It's, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. <laughs> At the beginning of the war, the balance of power is kind of swinging back and forth wildly. Uh, both sides are just making moves, showing up and raiding each other, only to be driven back into their own lands and decimated there by the would-be victims. Um, sections of Gehenna and Carceri kind of fall to one side or the other, only to switch or be, you know, released and not even, they didn't even bother dealing with it anymore, not long after that. So... As the war machine uh, moves ever forward, this slows up some. Um, with the changes in the balance of power, it doesn't the it doesn't swing as wildly as it had before, and the uh, both sides continue to plot, scheme, and battle. Um, and even even the wins become less and less frequent as they become more and more familiar with their opponents' ways. Um, it it sort of stands still a bit, kind of stagnates. Though they continue to meet and fight, but it it's like negligible gains and only dwindles their numbers down, since very few of them can even reproduce still. <clears throat> the opposing teams, Abyss and Beator, uh, send out large raiding parties to explore surrounding plains. Uh, they go in every direction to find ways out of the lower plains. Some find paths like those that are along the Styx or Yggdrasil, while others find portals what do they find beyond their home planes the whole multiverse is ripe for the taking realizing this morale is boosted and the intensity of war begins to grow again they've got something they can go out and take over one side though has to eliminate the other side before they can venture out and take the rest of the multiverse she can't have both so now when the devils and the demons go planes hopping it's not delicately or uh gently they don't just pass through on their way to you know oh, wherever completely unlike them at least from my perspective right their version of exploration is disruptive enough to catch the attention of their counterparts from the upper planes the celestials um as such the celestials not pleased don't like it one bit they gather their why. armies this is where they gather their armies and they enter the fray, marching against both fiend forces in an attempt to drive them back to the lower plains. An army of Archons and Asimon, there's a million strong, rallies together and stoops literally to the level of the fiends. Their eyes burn with righteousness, their spirits of fire with the desire to stop evil, and the need for vengeance. 
The Celestials take the diabolical armies unaware, and they lay them about with great fury, caring not what sort of fiends they fell. So this battle rages, actually. Side note, this battle is the one that is our banner picture in our Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast server. The Lorecast server has that as the banner at the moment because I needed it for background reasons on my computer. This battle rages for a year with the Beatazu and the Tanari uh, now fighting each other and the Army of Light until the fiends decide to set down their culturally ingrained hatred for just a bit. And they team up to deal with the Celestials. The fiendish armies strike from all sides and within a week, yes, seven days, the Celestial armies fall back. Their pure robes stained and dirty, their hands covered in blood. It is said that this army of a million strong limped away with merely 3,000 and a hard-learned lesson about interacting with the fiends and how to go to war against them. They have to choose one or the other to fight. Both? Not a great idea. But that's also problematic, you see, because that means that they would have to choose sides. Essentially, in a way, they would have to choose what type of evil they would be standing against for the rest of eternity. And on the one hand, the chaotic Asimon uh, want to side with their with the chaotic Tanari, while the lawful Archons want to side with Beatazu. This leads to some friction among the typically peaceful Celestials. Um, apparently, even uh, beings of pure good can't resist the eternal fight of chaos and law, and this breeds enmity among them. And I mean, I I love that that like we like we mentioned earlier this this sort of trickles out and permeates every aspect especially mm -hmm. in 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 the mortal realm but this yes. even affects the celestials this even affects those that you would think would be able to e either avoid or at the very least you know um try not to get bogged down by it but just mm -hmm. the pure you know hatred of it all makes mm -hmm. them drives them crazy essentially gives them makes them nuts and makes them want to fight it's like when it gets They're too hot to fight like when oh it gets too hot, all you want to do is fight. It's true. I was pretty fighty yesterday. It's been awful. <laughs> as you know. Not as bad as you, though. Goodness. Yeah, it's um for for those of you um not in the know, uh the uh, my AC went out for most of yesterday and it was not great. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Thank you. We're great. We're good now. <laughs> We're fantastic now. Thank you. Okay, so now we've got the Celestials have been involved and driven back. They're bickering amongst each other, trying to decide which side to eliminate first, to which the fiends are quite okay with this because, you know, they just want to keep fighting and doing their thing. So you have three sides, well, four, I guess, technically, involved at this point. So both the Tanari and the Beatazu have um, certain members of their species that um, are... Their job is to gather knowledge. Uh, neither side knows that the other side does this as well, which that keeps happening. Like both sides doing the exact same thing and not expecting it from the other one. Yeah. And I love it. Oh no, did you what not? a shock. What? You guys did that too? Yeah, of course. So 
in Tanari ranks, this position is filled by whoever wants to do it. And then their histories are corrected uh, when it fits the motives of the current administration. These are these um, adjustments and rewritings you were talking about. They're corrections. They had to fix it, you oh, see. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you would think <clears throat> maybe the uh, lawful, Bayatazu, would keep better records um, than the chaos of the Tadari, but uh, you'd be wrong. I mean, yeah, they keep very detailed records, uh, taking care to note which battle strategies they won with, which ones they lost with, and all that. But in some instances, specifically when politics are involved, sometimes... Um, parts of that information disappear or get corrected. Oh, so it just happens. It just happens. So it's said that the only honest account of history is written by the Arcanaloths. They check and recheck one another to make sure everything is correct. But um, you can't, it's a real rare edition um, to get a copy of. Uh, mostly because it they 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 they're all in all pretty much inaccessible. Um, they're in the furnaces of Gahanna, uh, buried beneath the tower of the Arcanaloths. So it exists, but good luck reading it. Right. After a while, they realize that. Um, they're not, see, this is the fiends. They, after a while, they realize they're not the only beings trying to change planes. Um, the fiends now learn of the existence of the powers. This is the deities, gods, and such um, that have been around. They've been around for possibly forever, but they're just now deciding to get involved in the blood war. So some deities um, of chaos support the Tanari fighting, you know, on that side. Uh, this made the Tanari nearly unstoppable when the gods joined in on their side. Um, and they would have been unstoppable if it weren't for some meddling lawful gods deciding to step in and fight on the side of law alongside the Beatazu. Soon, the powers across the plains are all preparing for battle. Everybody's ready to go and they are preparing their armies of petitioners. As this is happening, the first god of chaos that had intervened withers away. His essence is scattered to the four winds. The gods, the other gods that are getting involved, preparing to fight, feel their essences kind of begin to slip and fade as well. Not being fools, the gods withdraw from the outright war. But they continue to intervene in less obvious ways, like through their proxies and such. Um, that's not to say all gods, though, withdrew. Uh, several gods of war and destruction, though, they they stayed in the battle, you know, dirtying their hands alongside the fiends. But gods of war and destruction, I mean, that's their bread and butter, baby. That's what they do, you know. Mm -hmm. With war comes treachery. Plenty of that happened during the Blood War. Fiends doing what fiends be doing, you know? Fiend's gonna fiend. A fiend is gonna fiend. And devil's gonna <laughs> devil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some of the ploys worked really well. Others, um, not so much. One of the uh, bungled Tanari schemes um, was messed up badly enough that they titled it. 
uh, the mask of the pit. So basically, they try to disguise themselves as Beatazu and infiltrate their camp. But chaos going to chaos, and sure. they can't mimic the customs and rules of law of the Beatazu society. So eventually, they're uh, they were discovered, and you could hear their screams ringing out across the plains for months afterward. Some of these plots um, are a little more successful, such as the Four Cross, which, according to legend, is when uh, Warlord of Avernus, Bell, suddenly ordered his troops to switch sides. Now, I've told this story before, I believe. Yep. Yeah, this was... Uh, this is... The mm -hmm. Four Cross, it's a... Uh, um, during our... Um, Hotter than the height nine hell series. It's been yeah, it's been a part of this. I know that I've mentioned this. This is when this happens. So Bell suddenly orders his troops to switch sides, uh, slaughtering the Beatazu on his side that he was fighting alongside. Naturally, the uh, Tanari are like, "Hey, yo, that's us. What's up with that?" So Bell attempts to gain their trust. He reveals the Beatorian battle plans, and in a in an attempt to prove himself loyal, um, by further double crossing the Beatazu, Pitfine returns to Beator, and he pretends to join the fellow lords, and then, and only to betray them again, you know, on the battlefield. So the fiends agree to this, he goes home, but he, you know, he tells his buddies, you know, roughly the sizes of the armies, and all of the battle plans. He tells this to, to Beatazu. So when the Abyss and Beator meet in battle again, Bell rides in with the Beatazu. But true to his word, he switches sides mid-battle. Um, he fights on the side of chaos for a year and a day, earning the trust of the Abyssal Wards. He proceeds to then lead them into an ambush after gaining their trust. This cripples the Tanari forces and puts them in a purely defensive position from the Abyss for about a decade or so. And for this effort, Bell was awarded a furnace. <clears throat> It's that extra day that really did it. For it them, was. For it sure. was that, uh, for a year. Anybody could do it for a year. A year and a day. You got it. Speaking of treachery, though, the Yugoloths have had a part in plenty of it, seeming to betray whoever is paying them um, at the time in favor of the other side. And while it seems random on close inspection, it only happens when the side they are working for is ahead or winning. This keeps things balanced, and the war machine rolls on. Um, but all the other fiends, they've not picked up on that yet. Things continue this way. Um, and after at like a millennia or so, the fiends discover another resource to exploit. It turns out, petitioners have a use. You see, souls and spirits of creatures from somewhere unknown to them at this point have been arriving in the lower planes for ages, though when they arrive, they are weakened and extremely ignorant. Those that were the most evil are transformed into larvae or transformed by different deities into varying shapes of fiends. Regardless, though, of the shape and type, the fiends have made a, uh, had made a sort of game of hunting them down and maiming or devouring them so they've been doing this for a millennia or so and i guess that grows old eventually too um so 
after a bit, the Bayatazu begin to experiment on them. They find that these larvae can be defiled and twisted into something new. This is where they've started creating the lesser forms of devils. And thus, they have a way to make more soldiers. Obviously, this I mean, info... Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, we can make more soldiers. We can fight more. So obviously, this information is going to make it back to the Tanari. Uh, the Yuvalots are suspected, but no one can prove it. The uh, the demons find out they can do the same. They can create more fiends. Um, though the Tanari newbies are a little harder to deal with, and they need to be broken in and shown who holds power first. So this is a major, major development in the war. So the casualties are far less of a problem now, and both sides can inflate their numbers. After a while, though, they they do start to wonder, where do all the souls come from? So they send out more raiding parties and find they're coming from Prime Material Plane. Fantastic. <laughs> they already know the way there, but first they have to, uh, you know, there's a war to win before they get to taking over that. It's around the same time period that the fiends discover Sigil. Uh, the City of Doors is a very appealing thing if you want to launch attacks on all of the other planes, but there's a bit of an obstacle. Um, some might say someone far, far more powerful than all these silly little fiends. It's our girl. It's the Lady of Pain. See, she doesn't have a problem with lesser fiends in her city and will tolerate the greater fiends. But if any step too far out of line, well, the uh, the dead book always has room for one more name. Doesn't stop them from planning on how to use Sigil to gain an advantage. And quote, they don't care how many of their numbers get sliced to pieces under the lady's gaze. They feel they're getting close to the city's secrets and a few dead compatriots won't stop their efforts. It's this point that the field of nettles becomes a comes into play this location two squadrons of fiends fight it out uh, to gain control of this area which is a ninety thousand square mile area of land it is nestled between two tributaries of the river Styx, um, and it becomes kind of a standard staging point for the war within a year it's pretty common to see a couple battalions marching through and trying to gain control of the area War rages, many fiends die, and it becomes then a great place for scavengers, um, you know, if you're following the war, or folks that are trying to make a quick buck from some loot they could get and sell. So if we venture out of the lower planes, out beyond the astral plane, to the prime material plane, that's where that is. This is where all you mortals that are listening here hail from, you know. It's where the souls come from. Oh, you okay. schmucks. Ah, yes, schmucks. I love you, schmucks. I say it with love. <laughs> so this, um, this is where the souls come from that the fiends need for their numbers. So why not start at the source? They begin recruiting mortal souls here, tempting them into embracing evil so the spirits will get sent to the lower planes. Primes initially regard the fiends as barely below deities and in some cases they take the place of local deities um, this is mostly due to uh, fiendish expertise and lying and manipulation um, not all mortals though are foolish enough to fall for their wicked ways 
they watch and they learn things about the fiends and what seems kind of a short amount of time i mean short if you're immortal that is and soon the primes learn how to summon and bind fiends to mortal will of course the fiends find a way to make this work to their advantage as well uh promising power to the greedy uh, sometimes all it takes to get a burke to call a fiend um, and let him loose on the prime sometimes it's intentionally and sometimes folks are just incompetent and just, aren't as smart as they think they are dealing yeah. with demons and devils <laughs> yeah i mean isn't that the beginning of so many like a cult uh tv shows and movies <clears throat> like they're trying to oh yeah i mean that's the beginning of the sandman the the classic comic book series from neil gaiman you know they're yeah. trying to they're trying to har- or you know uh, call forth death and capture her and instead they get dream that doesn't sound like a smart idea I mean, yeah, the the idea in of, in and of itself to begin with is not smart, and they <laughs> and they were somehow able to just screw that up, probably to their you know to their benefit because had they actually gone you know succeeded in their original plan, it probably would have gone you know uh, took us up for them. Ah, uh, yes, oh yes, took us up. The best phrase for that. So, with these with these uh, fiends being loose in the on the prime. Some are able to actually build entire societies based on their morals, lack of morals, um, and their values, or I guess lack of values too. <laughs> um, but these, these, it causes, you know, they cause mayhem and evil and all sorts of debauchery before the inevitable crumble of the society, uh, dooming many souls to the lower planes. Uh, the prime is also where our champions arrive to drive back the forces of evil, which doesn't honestly do much except alter the fiend's perception of primes. It turns out um, they're less like insects and more like vermin. Oh, okay. It's a bit of a slap in the face, isn't it? Huh? A little, a little bit. Yeah. I don't, I'm, Dear. I don't, I don't think I like that at all. <laughs> well i mean they are evil you know what i don't know if i think like, i think these devils and demons might not be great guys after all so this is the point in history um where the blood wars written histories become and i quote exhaustively detailed um yes. as it's written from a multitude of viewpoints and the mortals are beginning to document their history um, some of these are more accurate, while other records of the war are corrected, as we mentioned, for political reasons. Um, but the uh, mortal ones are possibly even more altered than the Bayatazu. You see, they're altered to leave out facts that might reflect poorly on them. I mean, obvious. Makes sense. Right. This opening of the prime material plane... Um, to the fiends has also made it possible for a new type of fiend to come about they've discovered crossbreeding is possible so this oh, is the origin <laughs> it's the origin of the cambions the alufines and eventually the tieflings so after this the uh, morale begins to plummet among the Bayatazu inferiors the abishai disappear Spinagons are failing to deliver important messages to people and even you know they're normally always ready to go into battle even at this point they're just reluctant to even bother um, eventually 
a town of lesser Batazu erupts in chaos. The pressure there from this just not just, you know, low morale is eventually going to wear on someone and someone's going to snap. It finally overwhelms them, explodes into violence, and the lesser fiends overwhelm higher ranking ones. Some of them even are even being held hostage while others were you know, crushed to death. This attracts the attention of the Dark Eight themselves, who arrive with a number of Valors, um, and they quickly find that the discontent and subsequent battle was uh, sown among the Bayatazu by their rivals, the Tanari. Valors had hoped to drive the Bayatazu into, like, fully into chaos, um, thinking that they could get them to switch and come over to the side of chaos instead. Can't beat them, join them, I guess. Makes sense, yeah. Um, But they forgot that deeply, deeply ingrained in the Bayatazu is a hatred of chaos. So they're then torn apart by the lesser fiends that they had riled up in the first place. Um, The most prominent rebels are punished, leaving no doubt what would happen again if anyone else decides to be dumb enough to revolt. Little dum-dums, how dare you? Little (laughs) dum-dums. Well, this little dinguses. What do you think was going to happen? Little (laughs) goofballs. While all this is occurring, deep in the heart of the gray waste, a deep yawning chasm appears for no obvious reason. And as it arrives, uh, Yugoloth Citadel slowly just like silently falls away into it. Upon closer inspection, the Yugoloths note both the shifting colors of chaos and the rigid lines of law inscribed in a spiral toward the bottom of this chasm. So they send out parties to explore this massive chasm. Nobody ever returns, and it's named Goresh Chasm. Now, rumor says that the only way to explore it and discover its secrets without being consumed by it is to have a perfect balance of law, chaos, and neutrality working together. But no one has actually done the work to get that far and find out if it actually would work or not. It's at Goresh Chasm that the fiends agree to meet and call a momentary truce. Both sides are very suspicious of one another, and the uh, pessimistic ones on each side think, that's a trap. I mean, pessimistic (laughs) or realistic? (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. More, well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Realistic folks on both sides think, oh, that's a trap. See, the Celestials are terrified, though. This could mean the end of the war, which could be disaster for the rest of the plane's existence. But before long, the meeting erupts in violence and bloodshed. You know what started it? A Balor sat in a pit fiend's chair, and he refused to move. I'm already sitting here. Just find another chair, bro. Just find another chair. chair. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Makes... I like that we both turned him into a high school Chad bro. I mean, that that's is, that's exactly what high school Chad, Chad bros would do. That's typical, uh-huh. quintessential uh-huh. high school Chad bro behavior. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So this battle by somebody not getting out of somebody else's seat ends up with a few of the higher ups fed to the maw of the chasm. The fiends again discuss negotiations. But after what happened at Goresh, 
there's no trust to be had and all future negotiations contend to end like continue to end in the same fashion blood violence carnage right peace not an option so at this time orcus aka the blood lord or the prince of undeath um my amazing man. titles my man right right <laughs> One of the uh, major Tenari lords and leader of the undead armies is slain by Hieron Sali, um, a drow goddess. Uh, his body is cast into the astral plane and his wand is locked away in Agathion, which is the fourth layer of Pandemonium. Um, this comes as a major blow to the Tenari armies. Um, they had come to rely on Orcus's undead legions. Kiaransali uh, um, offers the Tanari a similar service, um, but the some of the higher ups are still just, you know what? We're just going to find a way to restore Orcus to his former glory. The Tanari join forces with a mortal faction of Sigil, the Doomguard. Together, they create these entropic vessels uh, from millions of larvae powdered bones, and crushed spirits. <laughs> These <laughs> ships of chaos draw power from actual chaos itself, from the raw existing chaos energy that exists in the universe. So these are designed specifically to destroy and decimate law. But they haven't been put to use yet because the Tenari are busy arguing um, about who gets to control each one when they take flight. So it could be a bit before they get to that point. Which leads us to the current times, where we are now. The Yugoloths have decided it is time to do something about their offspring. With the help from Maldur, they plan to strip away all Warring Fiend's um, abilities to teleport without error. That part's very important, that without error part. <laughs> and then only give po that power back to those that swear their obedience. The Yugoloths don't want to do this outright, though. Um, they prefer to pull strings from backstage, you know? They don't really want to be in the limelight. So they put this information out into the upper planes, hoping the good guys will do it for them. And while they're doing this, the Beata Zoo raid Gehenna and kidnap Maldur. Thus, the plan balances precariously on the edge of an eye. And the Batazu, for their part, have a uh, hostage that they are very unaware of how incredibly important he is. And that, my friends, is where the Blood War stands currently. Love it so much. Everything about Planescape and the Blood War, devils, demons, it's fantastic. I love it so I... much. I love the demon ploys and folly I mean, with their little plots and schemes oh. that are sure to fail. Yeah, they, remind me, they remind me a lot of like, they've got like real like team rocket energy, <laughs> like Boris and Natasha. Yeah. Oh. Like, you know, sort of thing. Like Rita <laughs> Repulsa. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They've got the fumbling 90s bad guy vibes. Like, that's what it is. It's 90s bad guys with their fumbling, tripping over themselves. And it is so much. It's that is everything. the condensed, condensed version. 
Thank you so much for listening. We we will be back next week with some more uh, Dungeons and Dragons lore. Mm-hmm. I believe next week though will be our uh, our patron chat, and uh, we'll be discussing a uh, homebrew. I have some Ooh. homebrew shenanigans. Uh, those, I have those a special are always homebrew to reveal to people as well that will get added to the book. Yeah, that's those are always fun episodes where we get to um, talk about different uh, different things that we've created and. Uh, mm-hmm. To, to that you can play and that you can incorporate into your game into your oh campaign. yeah please be inspired by our silliness <laughs> we will uh, but yeah but that's for next week and then we'll be back with uh, more planescape stuff for sure it's gonna be out here planes hopping with y'all it's gonna be awesome thank you again for listening my name is sergio and i am mary fair to thee well dear listener and until we meet again may all your 20s be natural Thank you for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, consider following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at D&D Lorecast. Or jumping into the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons & Dragons. We'll see you soon. Listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.